Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Listen for what God is saying to you. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know who it was. She didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbouni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he had said to her. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of Amen. Good morning again, Urban Village Church. Let's come together in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to gather here on this morning of mystery and wonder and maybe a little bit of fear and hope. Um, we ask that your spirit would be present, that you would clear away the clutter of our minds, that we would be able to hear your voice clearly. We ask, we dare your spirit to stir us up in ways that make us feel both excited and maybe even a little uncomfortable. And I ask God that you would um, 
tie my tongue to truth and my hand to the gospel plow, that the things that I speak in this space would not uh, just be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, but that they would stir us all to action, even myself, in spite of myself. We pray all of this with gratitude and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So while uh, Mary the Magdalene, Mary from Magdala, is present in all versions of this story, all four Gospels, this is the only one, actually, where she arrives alone. Why did she go? What was she planning to do? The author of John's story is not clear. She isn't going to look at the tomb, as it's described in Matthew's story. She isn't carrying burial spices to anoint Jesus' body, which is how Mark and Luke tell it. She's just going. It's still dark before sunrise when she gets there. And maybe because it was a little dangerous to be seen, right? Showing up at the freshly sealed tomb of a recently executed political activist is not quite the way to lay low. But even if there was no reason, I think Mary just kind of wanted to be there. She is the unnumbered number one disciple. And bearing Jesus, being near Jesus was just how she did. Dead or alive, being in the presence of Jesus was Mary's habit. She was there sitting at Jesus' feet while, she t while he taught, and Martha did all the work. She was there standing at the foot of the cross when he took his last breath, and so she would be here to dwell in the presence of her beloved teacher, mentor, and friend, to sit near him just one last time. But her quiet grief becomes shock and fear as she approaches and sees the stone rolled away. Something has gone terribly wrong. And when Mary turns and runs, I'm with her, right? Suddenly you realize, I am in a graveyard, in the dark, all alone, and a tomb that most definitely should be sealed is wide open. Now, brah. <laughs> and so when Peter and the other disciples show up, I love, you know, John has this thing where he always kind of talks about the beloved disciple, and he thinks he's being sly. He's, he's trying to talk about himself, right? But so Peter and the other disciples show up. The fear turns into questions, right? The grave clothes are, go are, are gone, which means the body wasn't, are, are still there, which means the, the body wasn't exactly robbed, especially since the faith face cloth was, was neatly folded up, right? So is this adding insult to injury? Have the temple leaders decided to humiliate Jesus a little further by, um, by doing something to his corpse? Did they want to torment the followers of his movement by denying them the opportunity to mourn him properly? They leave with more questions and heavier hearts than when they came. But Mary lingers. What is it like? I wonder, to have experienced trauma and then be denied even the opportunity for your grief to be given space, for it to be respected. When I thought about that, I was reminded of these students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Their story in a strange and tragic twist has been our Lenten companion, right? On Ash Wednesday, as we reflected on our mortality and connectedness, when we considered, what should my life consist of before I die? These young people were confronted with it in a spray of bullets. And within a week, their grief began to take shape in the form of presence. They managed to drag themselves out of the hell of fear and trauma. They wouldn't fade away. And building on the groundwork laid by folks advocating for black lives and, and calling on us to say her name, these high schoolers showed up and spoke up and refused to let their words die. Not long after strange accusations, and attacks began to surface. YouTube videos that went viral accusing one youth, David Hogg, of being a paid actor. 
Another, a photoshopped image of Emma Gonzalez, another student, ripping up the Constitution. Not two months passed, and these young mourners have borne the backlash for the ways that their grief has taken shape. They would, I'm sure, be much rather looking forward to the end of the school year. They would love, I'm sure, for their greatest concerns to be about whether or not the person they were going to ask to prom would say yes, or whether or not they would be asked. They'd much rather be suffering from senioritis than post-traumatic stress disorder. They would rather many things, but instead this has happened and here they are. And they keep showing up, refusing to let a brutal tragedy shut them down. Maybe in its own way, maybe that act of showing up and staying showed up as a kind of thread from this modern moment to that ancient scene. Mary's refusal to allow Jesus' life to be dismissed so quickly, discarded and forgotten, refusing to allow his death to serve as a lesson in institutional power. This is what happens when you speak too loud, when you don't comply, and when you push us too far. But of course, that's not the end of the story. Mary is so exhausted by her emotions and overwhelmed by the events of the last few days, maybe it doesn't even register in her mind. Why would there suddenly be a couple of people dressed in white standing inside of the tomb? So many inexplicable things happening, right? So many people of authority acting around her like, like a hospital room, right? Where you stop losing track of who's an orderly, who's a nurse, who's a nurse's aide, who's the attending doctor, who's the dietitian, the phlebotomist, who's just here to empty the gar garbage, right? Shift changes and curtains and closing doors and beeping and whooshing of machines, you just kind of stop keeping track. Maybe this was what it was like in Mary's head, so much that it didn't really matter who these two people were, just that maybe they, maybe they know something about what happened. Why are you crying, they ask, like they're not standing in a tomb. <laughs> they have taken my Lord, she weeps. This man whose kindness and generosity of spirit could not be measured. This teacher whose love and patience was unending. This friend whose never-ending invitation was always extended. They have taken him, and I do not know where they've put him. Turning around, she sees Jesus, but she doesn't see Jesus. Perhaps he was disguised. Maybe it was April Fool's Day on that day too, right? She registers him as the gardener, and this time the question feels a little different. Why are you crying? It feels kind of sweet and disarming, somehow, coming from Jesus. A little humorous, like when I threaten my daughter with tickle fingers. But Mary doesn't comprehend it until he says her name, Mary, Mary. My sheep know my voice, Jesus once said. Rabuni, she says, a more endearing and loving form of the title teacher. But even for Mary, the unnumbered number one disciple, things will never be the same. Don't hold on to me, Jesus says. I have to go up to my father. It is a fundamental turning point in how Jesus will be in relationship with his followers from here on out. Gone are the direct teachings, the warm voice, the bread broken together. Gone are the opportunities to hold him and be held by him as they once had so easily experienced. He won't be napping in the back of a boat or calling tax collectors down from a tree, inviting himself to dinner at their home. He won't be washing feet or spitting in mud anymore. He'll be present, but not like you've known him, and that's something to grieve, even if there is something to celebrate. 
For those of us who have lost people we have loved, we can surely say thank you for them and celebrate their lives, whether it is through a gift to a church with a plaque on their name or a visit to the grave on an anniversary. But it doesn't mean we don't ache for their presence. And again, this, I think, is where, uh, where I think again of our young students from Parkland, Florida, where I think of Opal Tometi and Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors, who called upon us to love black lives. I think of Stefan Clark and his grandmother and his daughter and his daughter's mother. I think of the parents from Newton, Connecticut, and their children, forever frozen in first grade, who will be the same age as Naomi Wadler, the 11-year-old girl who called upon us to say her name just last week from a national stage. I think of the Mexican proverb that says they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. There is new life, but we still know what it's like to be buried deep in the cold and dark ground, don't we? We celebrate life over death, but let's be clear, this is no YOLO moment, not least because obviously Jesus lived more than once. We celebrate life over death, but this celebration bears deep scars and pain from phantom limbs. Indeed, death has been defeated. Indeed, life wins and love wins. Indeed, those systems that have thrived on our fear of not enough and anxieties of what if have been revealed as only as powerful as we would allow them to be. Celebrate. But do not forget just how much this party costs. We know the psychological taxation and emotional price tag. We know the spiritual tuition for these lessons in kingdom building, don't we? And so let's celebrate the way that Jesus so often celebrated through connecting with others and lifting others towards personal and public transformation, through calling out those practices which prevent us from calling one another in. Let's celebrate around a table with shared food and shared stories. Let's celebrate with a willingness to commit to those things that go beyond our personal agendas and goals, mutual sacrifice, kindness, and generosity, instead of looking for more, giving thanks for our daily bread. Our celebration is made all the richer because our joys mingle with our sorrows, stored in a container of humanness and hope. Jesus will never be the same, and neither will Mary, neither will Peter or the beloved disciple, neither will Judas or Thomas or Pilate or Nicodemus or you or me. Mary and Peter and even Jesus might have rather had things go a different way. After all, didn't Jesus pray that this cup would be taken from him? They might rather have things gone a different way, but this is the way they went. The seeds have been scattered. Let's come full bloom. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you remind us that death is not the end, but the beginning of something new. So we ask on this Easter morning where we try to hold something that is really unholdable, we ask that you would help us to not wither away or shrink in the fears that all of those things that death brings, anxiety, not enough for me or mine. Help us to be people of courage who in whatever scars of trauma we may bear, be little seed pods for new life in the ways that you lead. 
We thank you for the model of Jesus. We thank you for the disciple Mary. We thank you even for the beloved disciple and for Peter, their hope and their fear and their flaws and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like an empty bottle takes the rain And heal, 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 heal Take my past and take my sins Like an empty sail takes the wind Tell me something. 